Are you interested in breaking into the DJ EDM industry? Stay tuned, we'll give you all the tips you need. This is IS23 coming back again with another podcast. This is episode 35th of the Freak Beats EDM podcast. Uh, on the other line, we have... Yeah, this is Matt. Thank you for having me. Hi, Matt. Yeah, great. Great having you again. Um, we're kind of going to do today a kind of continuation from last week's uh, theme, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So last week we were discussing the DJ Top 100 uh, and it mostly came down to... Um, the top 100 marketers as opposed to strictly DJs. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I found a very interesting article on Vice um, last week and I thought uh, I will use this and I'll uh, make put a link on the um, below on YouTube um, about uh, how to become a successful EDM DJ. All it takes is a bit of practice, a few contacts and above all good marketing. And this is written by uh, a lady called Nadia Brunessin. Um, so, uh, do you want to start? Uh, you've read it as well, haven't you? Oh, yes, yeah. So, what do you think? Um, yeah, well, it was a really interesting read. Uh, very cynical about today's dance music scene. Uh, she goes into how to break into the dance industry, a DJ industry, and it's not how you would expect. She doesn't really discuss how to make music uh, but more how to market yourself so i thought that was really interesting yeah so do you want to start reading perhaps from the top like she starts she gives a little bit of her background personal history she's actually she likes uh, techno but she decided to do kind of an experiment a fun experiment with one of her friends who used to be a promoter his name was tobias i think um so uh, it starts saying it's all about the marketing yeah absolutely so She starts off and uh, she's got a few things going at the at the time. She was a, a student, she was doing a few things and yeah, it was more of an experiment, an art project as she called it, uh, to see whether she, it was as easy uh, as it seemed to break into the, the industry. Um, she goes into sort of introducing her opinion on, on dance music or EDM. Uh, she said that she's disgusted by DJs who contributed to the super commercialization of uh, dance music and those who were paid to throw cakes uh, while playing pre-recorded sets. Now, the first DJ that sort of stands out to me would be Stevie Oki. Uh, she doesn't name any DJ specifically in her article, uh, but there's one DJ in particular who does throw <laughs> cakes into crowds. Yeah, um, it's only Stevie Aoki, isn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we can only sort of guess on, on who these sort of super commercialized DJs are, uh, but I would say the likes of David Guetta, uh, Calvin Harris, Stevie Oki, Um, but we'll go into that uh, in a little while. Uh, but yeah, so she she wanted to see whether she could replicate their success. Mm -hmm. So you want to start reading from the top and see. Um, we will stop. I'll stop you if I want to make a comment. Okay. Yeah. So um, sort of going through the article. Uh, yeah, she was talking about the DJs who uh, play the pre-recorded sets. Um, she spent a few weeks going uh, learning how to mix uh, the tracks and uh, she was able to do it flawlessly after only a few weeks and a little bit of help. Uh, she talks about um, all about mass entertainment uh, partway through the, uh, the article, which I found uh, interesting because all artists, whether it's classical or dance, rap, metal uh, or country, they're all entertainers. 
all these artists and they entertain their specific niche, their group, their clique, their fan base. Um, but she used the word mass uh, in mass entertainment, which is interesting to me because it seems like she was alluding to some DJs not only entertaining their own fan base in dance music, but trying to break into other genres. So perhaps selling out, as some people would say. So you've got the likes of, say, for example, Taylor Swift, who was uh, country music and she's reverted into pop. You've got Eminem, who was rap and he's sort of collaborated with Rihanna and Lil Wayne. So some people say that he's sort of um, sold out. And for me personally, um, Tiesto, who used to play his sort of own style uh, back in the, the 90s and early 2000s, it's sort of very super commercialized. Um, so I would say that those are examples of mass entertainment, people who had their own fan base, their own genre, but now appealing to a broader market. And I think that's down to um, financial um, reasons to make more oh, money. Of course, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, always Calvin Harris comes to mind to me when he started collaborating with the pop artist. Oh, yeah. Uh, in about 2010 or around then, he made dance music big again in the States. And this is, I think, where the, the term uh, EDM was coined. Um, because electronic dance music, I think, you know, existed way before that. But uh, I think it kind of became EDM synonymous with, with uh, Big Room or this pop dance. We can make another podcast about that. If I may start reading from the top, so a quote now. It says, uh, it's all about the marketing. Tobias had worked in nightlife for a while, got the scene completely. For big events, he booked DJs who attracted as many people as possible. He knows which acts worked on the stage, how much young adults are prepared to pay for which performance. That's quite interesting, don't you think so? Yeah, so she she had someone uh, on the side. I think Tobias was a friend of hers, an associate. Um, and I don't think she would have been able to do this art project without the help of Tobias. Uh, I think yeah. Tobias, with his knowledge of dance music and, and artists and that sort of thing, um, yeah, I don't think she would have been able to do this on her own. But what was interesting was that when she started this art project, she she felt that, or perhaps it was a joint decision, that it'd be better if there was two women who um, yes. who sort of formed this this sort of DJ group rather than just a, yeah. a lone female. Yeah, and uh, Nervo comes to mind here. Um, just to continue quoting there, uh, it says, We brainstormed what we need for quick success, contacts, a bit of skill, above all, smart marketing. We needed cliche and kitsch. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, that's quite interesting. It says, First, I started to file my technical skills in a club during the day. Uh, I knew from watching how to fit one song to the next. Well, I'm, I'm actually surprised that she went to uh, that length to learn how to DJ because we could argue here how much of these uh, sets that we see in the big festivals are pre-recorded. Mm. Um, anyway, he says it took just a few weeks, as you said, to, to learn that. Then he says, Tobias and I decided two women could be marketed better than one. Nervo had proven that. So we're talking about 2014 at, at this very moment where the kind of the big room scene was at its uh, peak. Um, I went through my friends. I found somebody... So, uh, the first gig is, is very interesting. Um, it says Tobias arranged for a first performance at one of his parties. So, guys, if you want to break into the scene, I'm, I'm sorry, but you need to have, you need to know some sort of a promoter. 
Um, it was in May 2014, we had a month's time to prepare the gig and we spent a lot of time in our improvised studio. At the same time, we had professional photos taken, had a logo made and made a new Facebook fan page. So, uh, interesting again, right? They made a fan page, even though they had no fans, they were not out there. Uh, this is what we're talking about marketing, isn't it? Photos, yeah. logo, Facebook fan page. Yeah, it's all just a front, really. It's not necessarily yeah. about the quality of the dance music. And she also mentioned in the article that the the music that she was using in her, her sets, her concerts, her gigs, they were um, it was just uh, tracks pulled from uh, Tomorrowland, what was big that year at Tomorrowland. Yeah. Um, she was just pulling songs left, right and centre. So that, to me, screams EDM music, the sort of, um, you know, put your hands up in the air sort of music, yeah. um, putting it all together. And uh, that was her, well, that was the extent of her music knowledge, really. Yeah. Um, to continue, she says, we didn't want to use sexiness as a marketing ploy like DJ Da Candy, for example. I, I don't know who she is. I've never heard of um, her either. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> so that says a lot about her using sexiness. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, now to mind comes, you know that um, Dimitri Vegas, he is marketing his fiance or wife now, and she actually plays the set <laughs> yeah. in Tomorrowland. Did yeah. you know that? that? That's that's so funny. Yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, so continuous play tunes. Everyone knows, as you said, um, she actually well, they used uh, the exact set from the last Tomorrowland festival, picking the biggest and uh, sorry, the best and easiest hits. The audience love our tracks purely because they knew them already because they were predictable. Mm. It also helped that the local DJ scene tore it apart. There was bitching galore, and suddenly the scene was interesting in us. We were two newcomers who had appeared from nowhere playing EDM into an utter horror of the established DJs were adored by our audience. Those in the know rightly wondered why we were suddenly being booked and questioned our realness. In July 2014, we played three shows together, including the festival Touch the Air. Each time the audience got our copy to Tomorrowland said, uh, set and it reliably made them happy now just for me to make a comment here i think when martin garrick started well how did he become that big i he um, i recall uh, okay oh, sorry oh, go sorry ahead. No, for, for me he was in the crowd with me when i when i was at ultra back in 2012 um, yeah. was it 2012 or 2013? Um, I was there in 2013. He was in the crowd. Um, I didn't know him and I didn't speak to him. I didn't see him. But he apparently in 2013, he was ultra, but he wasn't playing. He was in the crowd. He wasn't in the VIP section. He was just someone who was there watching the music. And then a year later, I think, um, he was on the main stage. Um, yes. Yeah, and that was I mean, there. by then, he, he, he made animals. But mm. I recall reading an article and that uh, probably Animal, so maybe an earlier track was cost-produced, and this is, this is one of the artists, basically the Dutch artists, that all of a sudden they just came to the scene from nowhere. Um, and, uh, and, you know, this this is the controversy here, and I may need to find the article again in order to substantiate this and put it uh, as a link. Um so, to continue, it says the team drew its conclusion. The plan seemed to work to be really successful. We would have to invest a, lo a little, sorry, a lot more time. Uh, and um, Tobias continued with the art projects. Three months after my first gig, I was playing various festivals, including the Zurich Open Air between Netsky and Flume. Can you believe that? Yeah, they're two big names. 
So, with the festival references under my belt, promoters started booking me not just as a support act for big-name DJs, uh, like um, Umet Oskan, for example, but even as a headliner for the EDM parties. <laughs> I could barely believe I was seeing myself on flies less than six months after I first stood at the DJ deck. What does this uh, say to you? Well, to me, within six months, you could be headlining uh, festivals, gigs, concerts, supporting people, or in between yeah. Flume and Netski. But what's interesting, actually, what you mentioned before, um, that other artists or the DJs, they were getting jealous um, and getting quite bitchy. Well, what's interesting, if it was, say, rock or metal, I wouldn't say that there's a lot of jealousy because you can see the talent and you can see the effort and you can see them playing their instruments. Um, yes. So I think you can appreciate how difficult and how uh, successful some people can be. But with dance music, um, you could hire a ghost producer um, maybe three times and have three different tracks and, you know, be at the very top. You know, you could be headlining. So, I mean, for example, with Martin Garrix, um, I don't know what he did. Um, it, it was incredible, whatever he did. But he re released, what, Animals and... Um, he just came out of nowhere. And then, you know, two years later, he was number one DJ. Yeah, yeah. Well, not two years, but um, four years, isn't it? It's four four years? years, yes. All right. But, 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 but still, but still, mm. you know, uh, this is, we just make a point here. This, this is the whole point of this podcast. Uh, but, uh, Matt, we're going to go on a break now and uh, we'll be back very soon. Okay. Good stuff. Thank you. So we're back again, and I'm just going to continue reading the article. Um, the headline now is Leave the Cliché. So I rang in the new year by spontaneously, sorry, I rang in the new year by spontaneously and drunkenly blasting the ever-eager ravers with a few tunes together with the manager of Clan Carousel after Rob Schultz set. So there you go, big name of the yeah. again. Uh, I was there thanks to a booking request passed on by another DJ, good fee, 3,000 francs, which is about 3,000 US dollars, I think, which is, what, 2,500 pounds? Yeah, or so, yeah. That's pretty good, pretty good <laughs> yeah. money, right? Yeah. For, for six months. The location turned out to be uh, Bums Alp, a bordello <laughs> somewhere in Zurich's suburbs. Uh, but as soon as I was sitting backstage and listening to the headliners drag adult conversations, I realized that Sultan and co must have to deal with far more malicious manipulations. The more successful you are, the more people hate and envy you. Okay, that gets interesting now. It's almost like a novel. Uh, in the meantime, there had been two articles about me in the newspaper, and part of the scene was starting to accept me. That didn't question my DJing skills. There you go. Mm. Since the crowd seems to like what I did by playing one EDM track after another and waving my hands in the air a bit. My market value rose from month to month and Tobias could quickly demand a fee up to uh, 1200 francs, which is $1,200, which is about £1,000 per gig, which was usually one or two hours. So £1,000 for one or two hours gig, pretty good. Spring 2015, so maybe a year later, I was playing eight to ten shows per month while studying Monday to Friday. It became routine, I started to forget why we had started this art project in the first place. I found this bit quite interesting, like she, you know, she almost got lost into this sort of lifestyle. Mm. 
Yeah, she sort of forgot why she started it in the first place. She was only seeing if she could break into it, but it. Yes. She, I don't know. It's not an addiction, but she just couldn't. Felt she wanted to see how far she could go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after that, she goes and says, "Give up everything else." My rigid technical college degree started catching up with me, and the weekend gigs were putting me under pressure. I collapsed with exhaustion on stage twice, and no, I never took drugs. Too many people around me stared at me night after night with their glazed looks or tried to persuade me to join them for a trip to the toilet with a coke. No, I was overwhelmed by my growing passion for the music. Okay, good for her. I started to think more and more about the music I was playing and the music I actually wanted to play. Well, we know that she likes techno. She goes into this uh, a little bit later on. And my expectations towards myself were rising. I started to play the techno which I listened to privately. Only at private parties, of course, or early in the morning on smaller floors, never on the big stage since this sound didn't fit with my DJ product and would jeopardize my emails. What do you think, DJ product? Um, well, I guess she was the product because she wasn't creating her own music. Um, I guess the, the DJ product was probably her rather than the music itself. She was the, the product that she was selling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... This bit is quite interesting. Get a ghost producer on board. Uh, this real passion kept me at the deck. My technical abilities got better, obviously, and I started to get a taste for music's addictive qualities. I had long stopped playing pre-recorded sets. We must give you know props to her for doing this. Oh yeah. I spent ev every minute of my free time looking for new tracks or with a long-distance degree in music production, which I started. Tobias and I knew that we'd only get further if we started to produce our own tracks. I think this is quite significant. So you see quite a lot of people getting booked and the only reason they get booked is purely because they made a successful track. Mm. And and this is where um, I want to make another podcast about who, what is a DJ today and, you know, the DJ Mac Top 100 Awards. Is it about DJs? Is it about producers? Is it about brands and personas? Or what is it about? Um, you know, the moment the moment you make basically a successful hit, you you booked uh, to play, and this is not a new phenomenon. You know, even back in the days, in 1990, 1991, you know, if you had a hit, you would appear, people would flock to see you, and most most of the times, these these guys just you know they made incredible music, but they just couldn't beat mix for to save their lives. No. Um, the commercial EDM audience don't give a crap about whether you play your own tracks. Um, actually, they prefer it if they know the song, can sing along, and above all, know exactly when the drop comes. Nonetheless, to be really successful as a DJ, make a name for yourself abroad, you need to have a few of your own tracks. Since I was still a total beginner in music production, despite the degree, we had to get a ghost producer and actual musician. It makes me angry that other DJs passed the, of real musicians' work as their own. So at this stage, my producers deserve real credit. I have enormous respect for Ben Mulitaler and Avesta, who produced my first track. They're incredibly creative and professional, work productively and with impressive passion for the music. Success is not their top priority. What they care most about is making music for a living and being able to pay the rent. Um, any comments on that? Yeah, well, what a lot of people probably don't know, maybe yourself, I'm not too sure. Um, did you know that Dead Mouse is, well, in a way, ghost produced uh, for other DJs? 
You mean he he produces music for other DJs? Or yeah, well, he yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, so he uh, in the past, I don't know how long ago, um, he created a few songs and he sold them to other people because he felt that they were too similar to songs that he'd already released. So he had like um like a a bag of I don't know tracks, I guess. And a few of them sounded similar to ones that he already produced. I can always pull that up uh, another time. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, he sold them to, to other DJs. Um, but I mean, I'm quite gutted because the, the, some of the songs that he sold to other DJs, um, I had never heard of. So the, obviously these DJs obviously didn't do that well. Um, but they were no, fantastic not, songs. I, did, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Do you know whether they actually, he actually appeared on the credits? Um, I don't know. Like I said, the um, the uh, the DJs who release them, I've never heard of, and I haven't heard of them since. So I don't know whether they they officially re you know released the song. Uh, I imagine they did, um, having paid for it, uh, but it obviously didn't do that well. So that that's a, that's the perfect point of marketing. You could have an awesome uh, track. And if Dead Mouse had released it, it would have been, you know, one of the top top tracks in one of his albums. Uh, but because the same track was released under a different artist, a lesser known artist, a DJ, um, it didn't do that well. You know, it, it probably didn't reach that high in the charts or anything like that. Um, so it's a perfect point about marketing. It is all about marketing at times. Yeah, yeah, true. And you know, one. I mean, it's a philosophical point of view, you know, one could uh, question w why do people like certain things and how influenced they are and, you know, do they actually make choices, but we're not going to go into this now, this is all about music yeah. and EDM. Um, so, just to continue, it says, um, we held off publishing the finished song, we want to wait for the perfect moment, one day I got an email from the music production company Hitmail who are behind more or less every jingle and every second pop song. They wanted to get to know me and come up with a track together. Hitmill provided me with a producer who, with whom I got on really well and with whom I worked on a second track. But before the collaboration was finished, the product left the company. No, the producer left the company. I finished the track with a different producer. Uh, during the summer of 2015, I played big festival stages like Sonnentanz, must be a German festival, the Holy Festival of Colors and Zurich Open Air. At the street parade after party, I played the main stage um, straight after Bass Jackers and Tujamo. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, foreign bookers were getting in touch to book me. Hardly any of them knew what I could do or how good I was, but they didn't care. They saw they worked. For making it work, they were prepared to pay a juicy fee, including travel and hotel rooms. And uh, this kind of concludes where basically she says her, you know, her passion was actually journalism. She wanted to make it to journalism and she finally had to make a choice between continuing on her degree. She got a, she got off a, a journalist offer and she kind of left the DJ scene at that stage to, to follow her dreams, which is good for her, I guess. Mm. Um, and that kind of concludes, guys. So... Um, you know, what are the tips? Well, you need to know a um, promoter. You can't do without it. Uh, make uh, profession photos, have a logo, uh, make a Facebook fan page even before you have started doing anything. Pretend you uh, know how to mix or know how to mix or at least, you know, press the buttons. Get another girl on board. 
play tunes everyone knows nobody actually remembers the the you know the tomorrowland mixes you know it sounds if it sounds good and it flows nicely then it's all good uh and then go with the flow and you know plug yourself in there get next to some djs and if you're a little bit lucky and you push for it and finally get a song produced with a ghost producer you're just gonna make it big it won't take more than a year or two uh, that's kind of concludes the artist the the article, Matt. Yeah, it sounds pretty summed up to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, this is uh, me. Thank you very much, uh, guys, for uh, listening and stay tuned. Uh, if you would like to subscribe, remember we upload everything on uh, YouTube uh, on our channel Freakbeats EDM Podcast, uh, and of course they get uploaded to iTunes, and you can use all the podcast apps on your mobile phones, or even uh, these days uh, you can listen via Alexa, believe it or not, as well. Um, and thanks very much again. Stay tuned, spread the word, and on the other line, Matt. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, and I'll uh, see you again next time or soon. Yeah, great. Signing out. Peace. Signing out, peace.